So how are you guys doing? Good. Nice, good. Uh, I talked about this a little bit. Tonight's going to be a weird one, man. Tonight's going to be a really weird one. Uh, for some reason, I advertise it as how you get married, how you get a marriage. Uh, and so that puts me in an awkward position where I feel like there's some bizarre expectations maybe that some of you guys might be thinking. Um, <clears throat> real honestly, I've been struggling with, uh, with just kind of what to do tonight and how to approach this. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. It's not my favorite. Uh, it's, it's not my favorite, and here's why. We've been going through the series in Ephesians, right? We've gotten to just preach. Josh and I have gotten to preach um, verse by verse the book of Ephesians, which is this awesome, awesome book. And I really love preaching um, exegetically, right? I love preaching this idea of like just getting the text and like, I mean, here's what the Word of God says, and let's just preach it and let's see where, where it takes us. Uh, it's been really fun for Josh and I to do that. And then we got to last week where we got to the end of chapter five in Ephesians. And so this is your first time I'm giving you the whole rundown of what in the world you're doing here and where we're at now. And, and so the, the end of chapter five, verses 22 through 33, at the end of chapter five in Ephesians, talks about marriage. And it's this picture of marriage. And so I rambled about the big idea and the vision and the roles of marriage and this idea of submitting, this idea of loving and sacrificing. Um, and so this talk tonight is really meant to be an application to last week. So if you missed last week, you're gonna be like, man, there wasn't very much Bible in that. And that's one of the reasons I'm not a huge fan of tonight. I'm just gonna go out and say it, because it's topical. And so I'm just gonna approach this topic of, okay, we see what marriage is. Uh, we see what it is biblically. So how do we... How does that happen for us in this culture? And so here's why I'm, I really struggled with like, Lord, is this what you want me to talk about tonight? I, I really did. Uh, this past week, I've wrestled with it and really through the past month when I kind of knew this was coming. Um, and I really felt like the Lord saying like, yes, I, this is what obedience looks like. I want you to get there and I want you to talk about it and I want you to shepherd this. So I know I'm supposed to be a preacher. Tonight, I'm not gonna be a preacher. Tonight, I'm going to try my best to be a really good shepherd of you guys and just kind of walk through some thoughts. It's going to be topical. Um, it's going to be built on a lot of what we've already talked about in Ephesians. Um, it's going to be specific application from what we talked about last week at the end of chapter 5. And so, man, I want you going back to Scripture, and I want you studying Scripture and reading Scripture and digging in and, and really letting that be where the truth comes from. You're going to hear from me a lot of shepherding perspectives and things that I have seen that I feel like, man, I love you guys. So tonight is going to be about talking specifically two brothers and sisters in this room who are, are single and maybe don't want to be single anymore. And I thought, man, okay, Lord, if that's what you want, then that's what I'm going to do. I think it's going to be applicable for couples in here who are married. Uh, I think it's going to be applicable in some ways for couples who are, who are dating and they're on that trajectory, uh, all, of those, all of those different uh, to paths. But I really feel like that's what my heart beats fast for because I know we've got a lot of you guys in our flock. And I thought, man, how do I step into that? Here's the other reason. This is a great intro. <laughs> this intro is awesome because it's just like, the worst, like, hey, this is going to be the worst night ever, which is the opposite of what you're supposed to do in an intro. Um, yeah, so setting your expectations really well. Um, here's the other thing that I, I really struggled with. Tonight is, you know, what is marriage and how do you get one? But I want to be really careful. Uh, I want to be really careful that we don't communicate, which, which we inadvertently are doing this, and so I want to repent from that, that marriage is the, in, I mean, excuse me, that singleness is the enemy. Right, that singleness is a cancer that needs to be cured. And so now, listen to me for 30 minutes talking about how we need to cure that. 
because that isn't what we believe. That isn't biblical. And I absolutely get that that is an impression of our culture. I believe that marriage is a good thing. It's a gift from the Lord. But we also see this idea in Scripture that singleness can be this amazing gift. And singleness can be used in incredible ways. And singleness can be used to send people on mission in ways that's glorifying to the kingdom and satisfying in their lives in incredible, remarkable ways. That's not necessarily something that our culture comes along and affirms. Um, but we as believers do, and we're called to be set apart. And so, man, just right off the bat, I just want to say I don't believe singleness is the enemy. I don't believe singleness is a cancer that needs to be cured. I, and I, I really want us to fight even that kind of idolatry of, of what some of us might have for marriage in our own hearts to think, man, if only I was married. If I was married then, then I would really be satisfied. That's what I need. I, I need that because that's, that is textbook what idolatry is. It's taking something that only God can fill, only God can really satisfy, and taking something else and putting it in that place. So um, having that said, man, let me pray, and then, uh, and then we're going to jump into this conversation. <clears throat> Father, we love you. Um, God, I just, I do thank you for tonight, Lord. I, I really desire to be obedient, Lord, and so would you give clarity of thought to me, and would you allow me to communicate what your what you desire your people to hear, God. Um, you've put this on our heart as leadership, and so, Lord, I just want to be obedient. I want to get out of the way. I want you to make sense of the mess of this and be glorified in it, and, uh, and that we would say maybe hard things that um, brothers and sisters can walk out of here and apply, uh, but at the end of the day, Lord, would this be about worshiping you, and would this be about stirring our affection and our hearts more for you, and so just protect our sinful hearts, protect my sinful heart as a communicator, and uh, and even ours to receive it and, and everyone in this room to be able to receive it um, in a way that, that brings you glory, Lord. That's our desire. That is our desire. And we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay. I also have a phone number up on the screen. This phone number here is uh, if you have any questions. So tonight, you're just, I'm just going to dump truck. A lot of observations and applications of, okay, how do we do this thing? How do we move from the singleness thing to the marriage thing? What's that look like? How has that looked? Maybe you're dating somebody. You're like, is this the right person? What does that look like? Um, we're going to walk through that. This is not uh, an extensive, I mean, this is going to be a 30-minute sermon, right? And so there's going to be a lot of holes, a lot of questions, a lot of maybe even uh, people take offense to certain things in here. That's okay. I'd love to hear that. I'd love to get your feedback. I'd love to hear where you're at. So if you have questions, if you have comments, if you have pushback, anything, uh, send a text message to this, this number, and I would love for it to make me a better shepherder, uh, or even hear where some of you guys are at and how you're interacting with it. So that number's just going to be up there throughout the night uh, for you guys to, to text in whenever you want. Okay, whiteboard. Here we go. Man, I love whiteboards. Did you know one time, Kristen Hines, who's maybe my second favorite, well, I have kids now, so I can't say she's my second favorite, so she's like fifth favorite person now. Miles, Charlie, yeah, I got to get him up there. Uh, she, gave me, she gave me one time a whiteboard that comes on a wrist. It's like, a, I should have brought it tonight. It's in my car. You want to go? No, no, don't get it. Uh, anyway, it's awesome. I'm not sure why I said that. All right. So here we go. Here is, uh, here is, here is uh, one of the things that's happening in relationships, right? We, we recognize that um, marriage, for those who are, who are single, man, that marriage at times is this elusive thing. Okay, how do, we, how do we get there? And I recognize I'm speaking to 19-year-olds in this room, and I'm speaking to 40-year-olds in this room, right? And so we're all in different walks of life. And so, and so as, as we're walking through this idea, uh, the question of how, how do I get one? How do I get a marriage? And the easiest answer, 
The easiest answer I could think of was this. At the potluck on Friday night, <laughs> go up to somebody, ask them if they will marry you. Then, if they say yes, call me, right? Schedule a time for me to officiate the wedding. It'll take a couple of weeks for me to get back to you. I'll check my schedule. I'll get back to you. And then we'll have a wedding ceremony. Girl, get a dress. If you don't have a dress, get a white shirt or a white polo. Guy, get a suit. If you don't have a suit, get a button down from Target or from Plato's Closet. And then show up, invite witnesses, and make a covenant before the Lord. We'll get an illegal marriage license printed by Chris Burns, and we'll just do a ceremony. <laughs> And you will, you will have a covenant ceremony before God and witnesses, and you will enter into that commitment for the rest of your life, unconditionally laying down your life for that person. That was the easiest way. So when I thought, all right, how do I answer the question of how you get one? That's it. Done. Right? Done. Thank you. Brett, come on back up. Um, the reality is it's so much harder than that, right? It's so much harder than that, and there's all this, this, this back and forth, this drama, all that kind of stuff. So what... Uh, what I'm going to try to do here, here's, my, uh, here's my, my best stab at this. There's a few things that we, we're going to talk about two different categories of thoughts. We're going to talk about things we can control and how we make this happen, right? And things we can't control and how to make this thing happen. We're going to focus most of our time on things we can control because let's be honest, who wants to talk about things we can't control? That's my guy. That's my girl there. Okay. So What? What's your problem? Legs? She floats, man. That's what you wanted? Is that what you wanted? Yeah. Is it that she's topless? Is that what the deal is? Everybody calm down. I'm trying to preach a sermon. There. <laughs> what? Thank you. I'm trying my best here. This is a horrible sermon. I already told you. All right. We're in the beginning of this. Let me get through this thing. Okay. Guy and girl. I don't mean for that to be that distracting. Guy and girl, right? <clears throat> Guy and girl, right? So we are, uh, one of the things I want to talk about are things we can control, right? Because, uh, because I want us to understand that I, I believe there's a lot of brothers and sisters I have in this room that feel like, man, my singleness is so frustrating because it's so out of my control, right? And it's paralyzing because it's like, man, I can't fix this on my own and I'm just stuck in this place, right? And there is something we're gonna talk about that's absolutely true, things that we can't control, but what can we control? And so, so I want you to picture yourself as someone going around and you are constantly connecting with other people, right? And when you connect with somebody else, right, especially some of the opposite sex, you're going, to, you're going to connect with them, and there's going to be pluses and minuses, right? Especially when it comes to dating, right? So these pluses and minuses, we're going to talk about here in a second. They could be all different levels of shallowness. They could be really deep things. We do this in, in life with just friends, right? We do this, and there are, there are things like, man, am I attracted to that person, that person's sense of humor, the person's hair color, the person's, uh, the person's walk with Christ, uh, that person's work ethic, right? Their geographical location, right? I, Josh and I were in Washington State a couple of weeks ago. There was this guy who was like a really cool guy, and I was like, man, this guy I would be friends with in real life, but he lives in Washington, so he's dead to me. So because of that... <laughs> He had all these pluses, and I was like, yeah, man, we would be friends. We would be totally, man, this is a cool guy. I want to do life with him. No, 
He's in Washington State. He's dead, right? And so, and so those, we prioritize those differently, right? And that happens across the board subconsciously, constantly in every relationship we're in, right? We're just moving around constantly like Wi-Fi signals bouncing off of each other and then subconsciously evaluating. Man I, man, I really like that person, right? And it's this kind of, you get in the car and you're like, man, that guy was really funny or man, that girl was uh, really cool or man, that person was really mean or man, they're a horrible artist or whatever it is, right? And you just start bouncing those things off each other. And so that's one of the things that happens here is in relationships specifically, uh, when we're in the season of life where we say, okay, uh, I'm, I'm looking for someone else to spend my life with, right? I'm, I'm trying to figure out who I'm compatible with. And so we're weighing these pluses and minuses, right? I, I don't want to call them, um, yeah, I'm not going to, well, I, I don't want to call them turn-ons because I feel like that is such a, and I don't mean that in a crass way. I legitimately don't. Um, because I think that just, when we, when we hear that term, turn-ons, we just think, you know, in kind of a physical, sexual way. But I think the reality is of like, oh, man, that person really intellectually is, is a very stimulating person to me. Or spiritually, man, that person really is, has all these pluses or minuses or whatever that looks like. And so we go through our relationships, and this is what happens. And, and what happens is these things, these pluses and minuses, we all have, we all do. Anytime you have been rejected, it is because the minuses outweigh the pluses. And it could have just been you got broken up with because it was a long-distance relationship, but everything else was great, right? Or you might have broken up with somebody because of a long-distance relationship. So they had all these pluses, and then this one minus was just kind of, it, it became a deal-breaker. Um, and, and, if, and if you've ever been um, asked out, it's because somebody was like, man, there are enough pluses to pursue this relationship to see if there's more, to see if this is really worth something long-term. And so it becomes this, uh, this very fluid thing in our life. Um, we evolve, right? We evolve, uh, we grow, I should say, and adjust these things in our life. We mature in ways and prioritize what we value and what we don't value in really different ways. So here is a, let me go ahead and you guys just remember this picture, right? This kind of constant back and forth with the guys and the girls and the horrible drawing, all right? Seared in your memory forever. Okay, so now I want to talk about for a second this idea that, oh, that's awful. You guys are going to make fun of me. That was supposed to be a heart. Okay, so, oh, gosh. Okay, thank you. Okay, so that's a heart, right? Don't judge me. That's not that bad. All right. So, so this idea of, um, okay, why, let's zoom in and say one specific relationship. So, okay, there's, there's maybe somebody in your life, and, and, you're, and they're evaluating, okay, man, I really like this guy or girl, right? So it's like, man, I really want to get to her heart, right? I really want this to work. I want there to be enough pluses to where we can make a connection, to where we can date, to where we can engage, to where we can get married. I want to see if those pluses outweigh the minuses, if we move towards that, if we're just thinking strictly in a, in a kind of a corporate plus minus cost benefit analysis when it comes to relationships, right? So it's kind of this cold way to look at it. So we have these, actually I'm gonna draw this way bigger. So we have these boundaries that we put up, right? So we're going to have in our life walls, boundaries. We're gonna have things to say, okay, this is what's gonna determine where we, whether or not we allow somebody to pass. So, so these boundaries can be anything from hair color to height, all of those things, right? And so we have these boundaries that say, hey, you know what? This person, I'm not, I'm not into. I recognize they're asking me out, but I'm not into them. <clears throat> I, wanna, I want us to think of two spheres. The inner sphere is what I'm gonna call the deal breakers. 
okay? In the context of Christian relationships, which is the context that I'm talking about tonight, the context of all of this is going to be in the context of, okay, as believers, how do we get this? We've talked a lot about what it looks like to be a believer. We've talked a lot about what it looks like to have your identity in Christ. We talked last week all about marriage and the picture and the roles of marriage. But how, how do we get there as believers, as a godly man, as a godly woman? How do we step into those relationships? We've got deal breakers. These should be things like, man, are they walking with Christ? Right? Like this boundary should be a pretty thick boundary to say, man, these are things I am unwilling to compromise on. They're deal breakers. They're things like, are they, are they walking in Christ? Uh, if it's a guy, is he somebody who is a, is a leader? If it's a girl, is it somebody who's a leader, who, who wants to make disciples, who wants to be obedient uh, to Christ? All of those things, right? We've got deal breakers. And so you, in your mind, you've got lists. Maybe you've been really conscious about that. Maybe you've actually sat down and said, man, what am I really looking for? Maybe not. But they're there. Then here, we've got preferences, okay? You've got preferences that also become walls and boundaries eliminating different people from your life as far as, okay, these are people I'm going to date, these people I'm not going to date. These are where the pluses and minuses come, okay? This, these are going to be the boundaries that keep people out and, and keep, uh, keep, people, uh, in, in, keep people separated from us in those relationships. You guys tracking with me here? You with me so far? Some of you? Okay, so we've got preferences and we've got deal breakers. So here's what I want. Let me get, let me get practical. Um, let's say you are, and let me kind of explain how this becomes fluid. Let's say you are um, 22 and you just graduated college and you're single. And, uh, and I think something happens when you graduate college. There's a bunch of college people in this room. I want you to hear me say something. And there are people in this room who are in college who are dating and that I've gotten to walk with when they were in college who really do it right. Right? They've really pursued relationships in really cool ways within the boundaries of college and really functioned in relationships with a level of intentionality. Because if we are not dating with intentionality, then we're doing it wrong. Because the purpose of dating is towards marriage or to figure out if this is somebody I'm going to marry. And so, man, I just want to say it's, it's awesome to see that. Uh, however, something absolutely happens outside of college. Whenever you get out of college, there becomes... Um, there becomes this extra level of intensity on all the relationships, and really in a lot of different areas in life, in, in work and a lot of responsibilities. Uh, and it's cool to see college students be so kingdom-minded, um, so I'm not being disparaging, but there is a real shift that's going to happen for you guys who are in college, that now all of a sudden, if you're, in, if you're 19 and you're in college and you start dating somebody, man, I hope that you're dating with real intentionality. I love those who are. But if you're 23 and you're out of college, and a 26-year-old starts dating you, there, there is inherently a level of intensity that's placed on that relationship by our culture that you're immediately going to feel, oh, man, like this is, this is now not just, a, not just a relationship that's kind of in the bubble of college, will it work, will it not work? This is now the rest of my life. This is now, this is now set a timer to say, is this going to turn into marriage? This is kind of this trajectory, and there becomes this intensity that happens on it. So let's say a 23-year-old out of college um, is being pursued by um, a 28-year-old, right? And so that 28-year-old says, hey, I really like you, right? I really like you. And that 28-year-old's a great person, right? They're awesome. They're a great person. They love the Lord. Um, but because of some of the preferences of this 23-year-old, they might say, man, I'm just, I'm just not going to let you in, right? There's a level of like, that's a, it's a closed door, 
because of where they're at in, in their life. Now, let's say that same 23-year-old, right, at 33 is single. Those preferences might have drastically shifted. Those preferences, right, the deal breakers don't change, but what happens is sometimes we make preferences deal breakers. And so at 33, all of a sudden, some of those things that really were like, man, at 23, I was not interested in that. I was not interested in that, not interested in that. But now I actually see very differently that, yes, I'd be very open to date that person. And yes, I'd be very available for this person. And no longer do those preferences become a barrier like they were, let's say, when you were younger. That, that is part of the dynamic that happens in our culture. That's part of the dynamic that happens in the dating culture that I'm trying to describe and explain of, of what we're walking into. Uh, here's the thing I don't want you to hear me say. To, to the 33-year-old, who now all of a sudden, some of these preferences aren't as big of a deal. Right now, some of the preferences of, man, when they were a decade before, they were kind of deal breakers. Uh, those are no longer as big a deal breakers. That doesn't mean that that person is settling. Right? That, that's not what that means. What it means is maybe that that person has matured in some ways. Maybe that person has learned some things, has gained some perspective, has grown themselves in some ways. It doesn't mean they're settling. It just simply means uh, that maybe they've purified, purified and re- re- revised some of those preferences. Because what God had them doing in their younger years was intentional and great. And so there's nothing wrong with that. In the same way, to a 23-year-old or a 21-year-old who says, hey, I don't want to date you because of this and this and this preference. I don't want to pursue that marriage, and, and I, don't want to, or I don't want to pursue even towards that trajectory. I don't want to step into a relationship that might lead to that because there's already some what I would call deal breakers, even though sometimes they're just preferences. It doesn't mean that that person is being vain. Do you hear me? That doesn't just, that's not vanity. That's just discernment in that person. I think we have to be able to say, okay, do I blame them? No. Do I blame them that maybe they would that, that maybe some of the there would be some stiff arms out there to say as a as a 23-year-old or as a as a younger 20, man, I, I'm gonna hold out. And it's not about it's not about settling and it's not about vanity. It's about that person really deciding what they're called to and, and, and what they're called, the kind of relationship they're called to step into. Having said that, I I wanna paint this picture for you guys because I want you guys to all think about, all right, what can I control? What can I control in this? If I don't like being single, if I don't, even the culture of singleness that we have here, what can I control? Well, you can control those things. You can control the preferences. You can make decisions based on, okay, well, and and I think also to evaluate some of those preferences, is there sin and is there vanity, right? Is there settling going on, right? Are we settling some deal breakers because we don't want to? Are we we compromising because we're tired of being single and so we're going to compromise on these areas? And so I want to leave plenty of space in this room for somebody who says, yeah, I'm, I'm not there yet. I mean, that's okay to say no to a relationship, right? It doesn't mean you're shallow. It doesn't mean you're vain. It's, it's okay to pursue a relationship uh, if, if you're getting tired of being single and, and really saying, okay, this is, this is not what I want because you've reevaluated some things um, and, you, and you've reorganized and reprioritized some things. But I also want you to hear we should check ourselves on that. And we should do some self-inventory and some self-evaluation. Um, it's not objective. You know, those are subjective preferences uh, that, that keep people at bay, but it's still something to work at. Okay, so what are some of the factors that affect the fluidity of those preferences, right? The fluidity of those pluses and minuses in people's lives. And here's, here's, uh, here's really where we're going to camp out for the rest of this time. Some perspectives that keep us, uh, some perspectives that keep us from, um, from pursuing healthy relationships. 
Here's the first one. Uh, it's the fear of rejection. Um, we, no one likes to be rejected. But one of the things in the culture of dating that we have within the church and outside of the church, but I would say, I would say it's even more amplified inside the church, is this idea of a fear of rejection. Because if I put myself out there and I get rejected, what does that say about me? And, and that is such, such a valid, valid feeling. And so what we have at times is a culture that's paralyzed. And sisters, I know we've got a lot of you in this room that I've talked to and walked with that have been crazy frustrated by what you would call and what you have come to me or other leadership saying the apathy of, of guys, right? Oh, man, there's just this apathy and no one's asking. And I, and I get that. And I'm actually going to address that frustration here in just a second. Um, but for our culture, and specifically, I would say, in the Christian culture of men asking girls out and being rejected, that paralyzes us. That paralyzes us. Really valid. I, as a shepherd, want to just offer an alternate perspective. It's not mind-blowing. It's not, I don't think, the super novel thought. But just shepherding you guys uh, or anyone that's paralyzed by, man, I don't want to take a step out there because what if they say no? Um, I want to challenge you to look at, man, where is your identity? Right? It's that whole identity talk, right? But the reality is where are you finding your identity? Because one of the, the reasons that rejection feels so crippling to us is because the fact that I need other people's approval. Because the, the lie that I'm built on and the lie that I tend towards is this idea that, man, I want everyone to like me, I want approval, I want, I want people to think I'm great, and the idea of somebody rejecting me, the idea of, of, of this even, for me, this is always a battle, right? Preaching even. This idea of like, man, what if nobody likes it, especially this one, this is gonna be horrible. You know, like, what if, what if this, that is entrenched in us. What we have to do is say, you know what? Audience of one. And I'm going to be obedient, so I'm going to do what the Lord tells me to do. And if nobody likes it, that's fine. If, if everyone rejects you, that's fine. And so I think what I would want to challenge anyone that feels paralyzed by the fear of rejection, anyone that's asked out a girl and they got turned down and thought, man, this stinks, man. I put myself out there. Yes, that is the worst. That is the worst. But man, what if that turns into muscle? that could build spiritual character to say, man, I'm going to have my identity and my confidence built in who Christ says I am. And, and instead of finding that validation and affirmation from the person I've asked out or maybe got shot down or maybe we were dating and I got dumped or whatever that looks like, instead of finding that, we know we're the root. We got to go back to that. And until we go back to that, until we have that perspective shift, that, that fear of rejection is going to paralyze us. So that's... That's one thing that, uh, one factor that creates a fluidity of those pluses and minuses. Because if we have a, if we have a fear of rejection, then we're going to have a lot of minuses. We're going to be extra critical. We're going to wait a long, long time before we're actually ready to see all the pluses line up, make sure there's plenty of confidence, and make sure that we're confident they're going to say yes even. It's going to be harder for us to take those risks. It's going to be harder for us to step into something. We're going to over-evaluate it, overthink it. Um, it's just part of our wiring. Something's going to happen, okay? So... As we step into the fear of rejection, we say, man, Lord, what do you say I am? Would I find my confidence in you? Now, there's two kinds of rejection. There's active rejection, and then there's passive rejection. The reality is everyone uh, has been a, a victim and is a victim of a level of passive rejection. 
passive rejection is where you just don't get asked, right? Where there's some season in your life where just nobody's asking, right? And so it's this opposite kind of rejection. It's not, oh, I put myself out there and I got shot down. It's, I, I'm not even getting asked. I don't even get the opportunity to reject. And it feels like rejection because I feel like I'm just stuck in the passenger seat of a car. And specifically in the Christian culture, both of, there are guys and girls in both camps of these, but specifically in the culture that I'm talking to in this room of people right now is going to be a lot of my sisters, right? Because we have bought into this idea of the, the woman's role is to be more of the passive member in the relationship. Um, and we talked about last week, Ephesians 5, right? And this idea that the wife is to submit and the husband uh, is to, to love the way Christ loves. And this idea that submission is not a bad thing. Submission is not a, I give up all my rights and I'm, you know, I'm totally subservient, right? It's just a laying down of your life, just like the husband is also laying down his life at the same time. And so if dating in the Christian context is supposed to mirror and point towards and have a trajectory towards uh, a marriage, well, then, then we've kind of bought into this thing that women can't fight for themselves in a relationship. They can't communicate what they want and need. And, and I would really push back against that. I would offer an alternate perspective to that. That is a factor that's going to drastically shape some of these pluses and minuses and how you feel like you're just stuck without control in your singleness. Because, well, I'm just stuck in the passenger seat. And until a guy comes in and he's willing to drive the car forward, then I'm just stuck. And I want to challenge the ladies in this room that, no, you're not fully stuck. Obviously, a relationship takes two people. But you can ask for what you want to need. You can communicate. I know so many relationships uh, who, who really the relationship started because uh, or really took it to the next level because the woman said, hey, I, I need more communication. Uh, there's couples in this room who I've married who... Um, the guy was really trying to pursue in a really sweet way and, and was really trying to step into it, into this, this marriage or into this kind of dating thing, but he wasn't quite sure if he was ready yet and he was kind of, kind of figuring it out and, and praying through it and talking through it. But he was still you know, engaging in conversation with this girl, but they hadn't started dating yet. He was just kind of, he was flirting with her and he was all about her, but he wasn't sure and he was trying to be wise and he was just trying to evaluate the pluses and minuses. And the girl, I remember she, she sat in my office and she was like, I'm gonna tell him, just stop texting me. He's being too flirty. She like, sat in my office, and she was like, this guy's the worst. He's flirting. He's, I'm having a hard time guarding my heart with him, and he is not going to text me anymore. And so she like, called him out, and she was like, hey, you're like flirty, and we're talking all the time. And like, this feels like too datey, you know? And, and it, it was this, it was this like, igniter boost to him to be like, okay, this is the girl I'm going to pursue, right? And it just bumped into that level. That's, that's essentially what happened to Danielle and I. I was kind of like throwing some game on Danielle and like, Throwing a little bit here and there and like doing some of these, drawing, drawing pictures on whiteboards and I have my whiteboard thing on my arm. I didn't have that yet, but just spin game. And, uh, and I, remember, I remember I was like, yeah, we should, we should hang out sometime. And, she, and I remember this explicitly. She goes, what do you mean by that? And I was like, well, like, yeah, we should hang out. Like, you know, because I'm just still trying to get to know. I'm still in the investigation, plus minus, where are we at? And she didn't just say, well, I'm going to be stuck in the passenger seat until this guy decides what he wants to do. She communicated. And she said, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean? What do you mean we should hang out? You mean like on a date we should hang out? Or you mean we should hang out in a big group? And she like forced me to define what I meant. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I married her. Sucker. <laughs> Sucks to be you. All right. Um, okay, so, uh, so, yeah. 
man, what do I want to say about this? Uh, here's one thing I want to say. If you are, the, just speaking into this idea of rejection, right, whether it's passive or active, um, if, if, you, if you get asked out, let me just say this. If you get asked out and, and you know, hey, like, there's some deal breakers, there's some, you know, maybe it's not even deal breakers, maybe some preferences in the season of life you're in, maybe it's circumstances in your life, that's valid, and, you, and your answer is a no, right, and you know your answer is a no, man, respect, respect the guy, or if it's the girl, right, respect them enough to say, hey, um, hey, it's a no, right, like, like communicate, communicate, so to, to the rejectors, be kind, be honest, be clear, and communicate, um, I know that's just kind of a preference thing for me as a shepherd, but who walks with this, this community, I, 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 we don't want to. Nobody wants to reject someone else. Right? Nobody wants to do that. But one of the things that happens accidentally because we're just trying to be sweet and trying to navigate this, and we don't want to hurt anyone, is, is we're not clear. And because of that, it, we kind of take this wussy way out. And so, man, I just want to challenge and encourage you guys and, and ladies especially, and if you get asked out and you're a no, that's okay. It's okay that you're a no. You can feel bad about that for like a second. You don't have to feel bad about that for a long time. It's okay. There's nothing, you're not entitled to, to say yes to everyone. Although I did argue with a bunch of people about everyone should say yes to one day and it's this whole thing, but I think I got proved wrong. Anyway, the point is, <laughs> the point is um, be honest and be clear. And then if you get rejected, right, when you get rejected, all of us, we've been rejected. When that happens, then we as a culture say, yeah, that, that sucks. Then, then you say, man, that's a bummer. And you, you have your identity rooted in what Christ says about you and, you and you move on, right? And you respect that and you respect that that was hard for her and hopefully that she or he did that in a real respectful way and, and you move on. Uh, and also recognize that you are passively rejecting people all the time. There's all kinds of people. There are so many. Golly, there's so many soapboxes in this. Okay, there's so many godly women in this ministry who I know are, they love Jesus. They are incredible. I'm not sure what preferences, I don't know what that is, but they are incredible women. And it's like, man, what are, like all these guys that are frustrated because they got, there's a ton of really, really godly girls um, who maybe aren't getting asked out. And so if you get rejected and you're shattered and, and you're frustrated, man, recognize that you're passively rejecting a ton of really incredible future godly women. Wives, I mean, they are godly women. They would be great wives. Um, and so see that too. And maybe change your perspective. And maybe I want to challenge your perspective to start seeing people differently. Because maybe you got rejected, but the reality is you're rejecting all these other people because of, of preferences. And maybe you feel like, well, I got rejected because of this and this. That stinks. And man, that seems dumb. And yet, if I asked you, well, why haven't you asked out so-and-so? What about Becky, right, who lives with, at Haley's house? Becky's great. <laughs> Becky doesn't exist. That's my fake name, by the way. <laughs> if your name is Becky in this room, I apologize. Uh, Becky's my go-to fake name. Uh, right? And it's like, what about Becky? She loves Jesus. She's incredible. She's awesome. And why, why is she not even on your radar? That happens all the time. So yeah, take that for what it's worth. Soapbox number nine. Okay. Passive rejection. This idea of stuck in the pastor seat, Christian courtship. I, I, I would really challenge specifically the ladies in the room to not feel like they have to get stuck in the pastor seat. Communicate about what you want and need. Uh, speak clearly to other people. Is that intimidating to guys? Yeah, it's intimidating to guys. It's not your fault, right? It's not your fault if you're fighting for what you want to need, if you're a leader, right? You shouldn't be afraid of that if it intimidates guys and intimidates guys. But you don't have to fake it, right? You don't have to be something you're not. Be the leader that God has called you to be. Um, and, and Lord willing, guys will raise 
raise their bar to that. And, and I think, honestly, men should be attracted to that. Like, man, that's the kind of person that I want to pursue. That's the kind of person I want to be a partner with in my family and raising my kids and, and a part of all that stuff. So, um, yeah, that's a good catch. Um, okay. Second, per- or I guess it's kind of the third perspective. So we've got this fear of rejection, both passive and, and active rejection, that I want us to say, hey, what can you do? You can have your identity rooted more in Christ, not find your validity in what other people think, and that allows you the courage to pursue some relationships that, man, if we are so rocked by rejection, we won't pursue. So that's one thing we can at least attempt to control by submitting ourselves to Christ, right? It's not an easy fix, but it's something we can say, all right, tonight I can work on that. I can work on that. I can work on my fear of rejection. I can step out there more because of what Christ says about me. I'm willing to take maybe some risks uh, and, and be maybe a little less passive on both sides of the fence, guys and girls. Another fear. Again, fear paralyzes us. This is the fear of missing out, right? FOMO, as, as the kids call it. Um, the fear of missing out, right? Our generation, our generation <clears throat> has, has FOMO like no one else in the history of the world has FOMO, right? Our generation uh, is haunted by it, partly because our generation is awesome, right? And we're better than everyone else. And, and we don't want to miss anything awesome because we're awesome. Uh, but also because of technology, right? And because of technology and because of the world that we live in now, we live in a world where, man, we see what, else, what everyone else is doing, right? It used to be a day, I'm sure, where it was like, oh, man, what are you doing on a Friday night? Only what your friend group is doing or what you know of a friend group or maybe one friend group over that you hear of, right? Um, and now we see what everyone's doing constantly, their best foot forward, their best look, their best identity that they want to be portrayed, whether that's pretty or fun or sporty or look how much I don't care, you know, whatever the image is that they're projecting, right? That's what we're seeing, and we're eating that up, and we're constantly inundated with that. That has created uh, this effect where it's hard for us to make commitments, right? Just case in point, it's hard for us to make commitments because we say, oh, man, well, there's this going on, this going on, there's these people, and the reality is we've become a culture that is, that is, um, that is connected like never before but unwilling to commit, Right? We are more connected than any generation ever, but we're unwilling to commit, and we're scared to make those commitments, and we're scared to step into to deeper relationships. And so practically how that plays out, again, kind of adds to the fluidity of the plus and minuses of, okay, man, how, how do I get this relationship to happen? How do I get a relationship that's, uh, that, that's effective, that's, that's compatible in the right ways, in the biblical ways, to then move towards the, the purpose that we're going to talk about here at the end? Um, and so one of the ways that plays itself out is um, maybe, especially when you're younger, right? When you're younger, and honestly, a lot of this talk, if you're younger, is like, yeah, I don't know that this is like a super felt need for me right now, right? And so you're going to leave here, if you're like in a serious relationship or you're pretty young, you're going to be like, yeah, that was kind of rambly. I'm not really sure. It didn't really touch a felt need for me. Because the reality is you ha- the world is your oyster, right? You have the world in front of you. You either already have a relationship that you're really satisfied in, and, and so this isn't necessarily felt need, or it's like, man, I've got plenty of time in front of me, right? But one of the things that happens is whether that starts the junior year of college, which for some people, it's like, oh, man, you got to get a ring by spring, and so like that whole pressure, right? Or whether that starts later, wherever that is for you internally, that you have this worldly pressure that starts driving this, this unrealistic expectation that's not from the Lord, but, but self-made, then we start thinking through these things, and we start being paralyzed, and we start saying, okay, well, but until then, if, if somebody walks in and they say, man, hey, you want to go on a date, and we start dating somebody, one of the ways, 
fear of missing out affects us is we say, well, they're great, but what if Prince Charming walks in the door? Right? Like, what if the dream, what if my Pinterest guy then walks in? I don't want to be tied in to this guy who's like kind of Pinteresty, but he has blonde hair and my Pinterest guy has brown hair, right? And it's like, it's like and my Pinterest guy has a British accent and this guy doesn't, right? <laughs> And so it becomes this, well, I'm not sure yet. And so, so what it does is it creates a fickle, uncommitted culture. And it creates this kind of culture of fickleness, and, and we're, we're not willing to step into those things. And, and another way, too, um, another way that that happens is, uh, is the way technology influences not just kind of a fear of missing out of I want to get my dream guy, but also the way pornography has drastically shifted how we see the opposite sex. I mean, pornography is now so prevalent and, and it affects all of us in this room in so many different ways. And, and the exposure we have to, to what our culture says we should be lusting after and we should be desiring. We, and the instant gratification of pornography. And man, that shapes our wiring and it shapes our mind. And, it, and the fluidity of the pluses and minuses in our life of how we engage with other people, it drastically affects. And so because of that, some of our hardwiring is, is, is not where it should be. And so we're not able to see our sisters in Christ the way we're supposed to, or our brothers in Christ the way we're supposed to, and it starts to affect and pervert some of our relationships. So, man, for those things, we, we, we pray for a renewed mind. Romans 12, 2, man, we, we ask, God, would you give us a renewed mind? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. No longer be conformed to the patterns of this world, it says. And, and that's what we're called to do. That's something that at least, at least we can ask for. In the camp of what we can control and can't control, we can say, all right, are these things holding me back, right? Am I so saturated by I want to connect to everything and this fear of missing out that I'm not, not, I've, I've forgotten how to make committed relationships work? Um, or, or is pornography affecting me in those ways? It is affecting you in those ways. Um, but, but is that something that still has a hold on me that I need a renewed mind? I want to see the way you see. Um, and, then, and then the last thing here... Um, the perspective on purpose. And this is, uh, this is I think, the, maybe the most important one. A perspective shift on uh, not just the idea of fear of rejection and, and passive and, and uh, active rejection, and not just the idea of having a renewed mind and how you see relationships and fear of missing out, but a renewed perspective um, on the purpose of relationships. Ephesians 5, 30, 32 <clears throat> Man, I really want you guys to spend time in Scripture. Uh, please promise me that you won't take the sermon and be like, okay, cool, we can just preach sermons without Scripture. That's unacceptable. Uh, see this as an application of last week's sermon, which is all about these 11 verses we studied, the role of it. And, and in that, what we talked about, right? In that, what we talked about, what we looked at, I'm just going to read the whole thing to you because I can do that because I'm up here and you're not. Um, and I want you to hear it because if you weren't here, I want you to hear it. And I want you to hear, man, this is so much bigger than psychology and and social interaction, uh, this is how we apply the word of God. If you remember, if you were here, he talked to Paul in Ephesians 5, he talks about wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The picture of that, the laying down of your life. For the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything they do to their husbands. This beautiful partnership that wives and husbands have. And then it says, he spends way more time 
telling the husbands, man, what they need to do, which is husbands love your wives, in verse 25, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. You hear the selflessness of that? You hear the selflessness of what a picture of marriage is supposed to be? The selflessness of a husband and a wife laying down their lives for each other? This beautiful, that's, that's what he's saying. This is what it's supposed to look like. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, if you want a healthy dating culture and perspective, then be in a culture that loves the word of God, that says, man, we, the purpose of dating is towards marriage. There's not, another, there's not another, it's towards marriage. Now, does that mean you say yes to a date? That means, no, it doesn't. Don't be paralyzed by the fact that you can't say yes unless you know you're gonna marry somebody. But that's the trajectory towards it. And so when we talk about how do we get this dating thing down, how do we, how do we shake off the, the singleness that maybe somebody in here doesn't want and doesn't want to walk in and is trying to figure out? And so to shepherd them say, okay, that's what marriage looks like. That's our trajectory towards it. What are the things we control? And then listen to this verse. Listen to this verse when we think about what the purpose of marriage is. Verse 32, the very next verse. This mystery, the mystery of husband and wife and marriage, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it, it, it's talking about, it's referring to Christ and the church. Last perspective shift I want to give you is the idea that if you are pursuing someone else or your desire to say, okay, I don't want to be single anymore. How do I, how do I stop being single? Right? How, do I, how do I get marriage? How do I get that? Man, there are some factors, right? What's, what fear is driving you and how can you renew your mind? And all of those things are great. But ultimately, what is the perspective? What is the purpose of marriage that you have? What is the purpose of those relationships? Because if it's anything outside of the gospel, then it's not going to work. And so that shifts everything. Because what happens, what happens real tangibly is now all of a sudden, I'm not pursuing someone else so that they would fulfill and satisfy me. Because that's where the frustration comes. I'm unsatisfied. I'm unsatisfied in my singleness. I'm frustrated. I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. This is not a gift. I hate a married guy up here talking about, oh, how easy it is and just fix this and fix this. It drives me crazy. I am, I am upset about this and this lack of satisfaction because we think, wait, this person is going to satisfy me. We know biblically that's not true. They're not designed. The design of marriage is not so that the wife can satisfy the husband, and the husband can satisfy the wife, and they can complete each other. That is a lie that somewhere along the way our culture bought into hook, line, and sinker. I need this person to complete me. Then I will have joy. That is a lie that our culture has sold us. The reality is the purpose of marriage is to be a picture of the gospel. The purpose of marriage is sanctification, and that changes everything. Now, all of a sudden, these pluses and minuses look drastically different because, because now all of a sudden I think, wait a second, I'm not just marrying the, the magical one out there. I don't, I don't believe there's anything biblical about that, that there's this magical one I have to find. And if I don't find the right magical one that God has for me, well, then, then I'll be unsatisfied in my life. We, we move through life, and, and if the Lord blesses us with that, and we get those relationships, and we figure out some of the healthy ways to step into relationships, and we're in healthy dating cultures where we can, where we can do that well and communicate well, 
Well, then what we should be doing is stepping into a relationship where we're saying, okay, how can I sign up to lay down my life for this person? And it shifts the mindset of how we see other people. And no longer do I see the opposite sex as what can they do for me? Or are they the right person for me? Or are they compatible for me? It becomes, man, is this somebody that I would lay my life down for? That paradigm shift changes everything. But that's the catalyst to a healthy marriage. Man, would, would this be somebody that I could be a picture of Christ to for the rest of my life? Is this somebody that I want to lay down my life for, whether it's the guy or the girl? The purpose of marriage being sanctification should change how we pursue dating relationships. It should, it should be something we hold on to as we pursue relationships. Um, man, there are things that we, we can kind of step into some, right? There's some application, right? Let's fight for a renewed mind, right? Let's find our confidence in Christ. Um, let, let's fight to understand the perspective and real purpose of marriage. But there is a ton of things that we cannot control, right? At the end of the day, all of that is all fun and good and cute. And, but at the end of the day, there is a ton of things that we still cannot control and we're still stuck in our singleness and, and we don't have the power to be able to break out of that. And we can, we can do these things and we can be faithful. And so, um, man, what do we do? Let me draw this. The things we can control, we obey. We're obedient in. The things we can't control, all this stuff, in the rest of our life that we can't control, we have to trust. Right? That's what we have to do. We have to say, okay, man, there's so many circumstances that I just don't know. Then all of those areas, all of that frustration, all of that tension, what we do is we take that and we say, okay, Lord, would you help me to trust you? I said this last week, um, and I'm, I'm going to say it again because it, it directly applies. I said it in the same context last week. It's, it's the difference between contentment and satisfaction. So what I'm, what I'm not saying is that you have to be content in your singleness, right? Um, and I, I want to use those words really carefully, right? So don't take this out of context because I don't think, uh, yeah. But I, I'm not saying, oh, I can just, um, I, I'm just supposed to be content. I'm just supposed to not worry and just go on. No, no, you can, be, you can be discontent in that. And you can say, Lord, I want Jesus. Jesus spent time being discontent in ways. Jesus stood before the Father, and say, Lord, I trust you, but God, if you could take this from me, this is not what I want. Lord, I don't want this to be your will for me to go to the cross and die, and he is anxious, and he is sweating blood, and he is, he is saying, God, would you let this cup pass? Would you not make me be crucified? I don't, I don't love the plan that you have for me right now, but I trust you. And so even Jesus said, there was even this level of like discontentment in him, but he was satisfied in Jesus. And there's a really fine difference. And it's a real dangerous thing what I'm doing with those words. So I want to make sure you hear me and don't take it out of context. You don't have to be content in your singleness. But my challenge to you and my encouragement, just as a brother in the mess of all this, if you hear anything, man, be satisfied in who Jesus is. Be satisfied that he is enough because he is enough. And if he isn't enough now, having a husband or a wife is not going to solve that. And if he isn't enough now, then having a better job or having more money or having kids or having a picket fence or whatever that is isn't going, having the praise of all the rest of the world isn't going to satisfy. He is the only thing that can really satisfy. And so when we talk about things you can't control and things you can control, there's some things you can do better, right? There's some things we can work on and step into. Um, real practically, man, you, want, you really want to work this stuff out? 
community is your best application. You really want to work out, man, how, how can I step into a renewed mind in some of these, some of these areas, maybe some blind spots, maybe some, some boundaries that I didn't even know I was putting up to people? Community. I mean, getting around other people and letting them speak into your life and show you blind spots and shape you and be honest with you. And then those things you can't control, we get this awesome, awesome privilege to trust God in. We get this awesome privilege to say, God, this stinks right now. This isn't what I want. I'm discontent. But Lord, I'm gonna find my satisfaction in you. Man, that's a powerful thing. Man, I love you guys. I want, I want you to be blessed. I want you to know Jesus more. I want you to love Jesus more. And in the mess of all of this stuff, right, as we're rambling about dynamics and dating cultures and all that stuff, man, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I want you to trust Jesus. And I could sit up here and say that, and I could do this long thing, all leading to this idea of do I trust him? Holy Spirit's the only way that we're gonna really get that heart change. So let's pray for that now and respond to it. Father, we love you. Um, God, we believe that you are better and we believe that you are good. And um, God, would you teach us how to trust, Lord? Um, would, you, um, would, you, would you honestly show us some of our blind spots, God? Would you reveal to us some of these factors maybe that are keeping people away, whether that's our fear of rejection, whether that's our own pride, um, whether, that's, um, whether that's just how we've been polluted by um, the culture around us and our lack of commitment, God. Maybe there's some areas of maturity that we absolutely need, and I feel like we don't talk about those in church, and I feel like we don't, we're not honest with each other. And so, God, would we be really honest? Uh, would we be a, a community of people that are really honest with our blind spots and really honest with um, our, our failures and, and honest... Um, on us to speak truth and grace into each other's lives, God. Um, would you continue to teach us how to do relationships better and better? And Lord, I really do pray for uh, my brothers and sisters in this room who really do desire uh, marriage, God. And, and not just in a superficial way or in a sinful way, God, but, but as a gift from you, Lord. And they recognize that and they, they totally get the idea that it's sanctification and the, the purpose and they want to run towards that. And Lord, um, for whatever reason, that hasn't been your will. And so, Lord, would, uh, would you put them in community maybe that would continue to sharpen them and continue to challenge them, um, maybe reveal blind spots? But more than anything, God, would you, um, would you give them trust in this season of waiting? God, I'm gonna pray boldly too that you would bring a husband and wife. Lord, I, maybe I'm not supposed to do that, but Lord, I want that for them. I want that for them and... So God, would you do that work in their life? But until then, God, would we trust you? That seems so trite to say. It seems so easy to stand up here and talk about. Holy Spirit, you are what we need, Lord. You are where our satisfaction is. And man, if anything, would, would some of our singleness push us to that? push us to be people who are more radically satisfied with you. Like I said, build muscle, God. Would you do that? We really do love you, Father, and, and we're so grateful for how you love us, Lord, that, that we were far from you, and yet you have come and you have rescued us. Lord, 
That is a miracle, Lord. Your salvation is a miracle. Thank you for it, God. We rest in that. In the name of Jesus, amen.